0: Unconfuse Israel Estate, the first Israeli real estate and property management podcast in English, with Mayan Harkum and Mayor Glusberg. Avi Unterman, where are you from originally? Because I hear the accent, I hope you didn't grow up in Ashdod, I can tell, or in Netivot,
1: or Maalot. Where are you from originally? Uh, it depends how much time you have. But to cut a very long story short, I grew up in. I was born in Australia. I grew up in England, I lived in Israel for a while, and then I married an American because I figured I hadn't really conquered the entire English-speaking world yet, and I moved to America for eight years before coming back to Israel five years ago. But I've been working in real estate for about 24 years.
0: And you're a licensed Israeli lawyer, obviously.
1: That's correct, for my sins, but don't hold it against me.
0: Are you licensed also somewhere else in the world?
1: No, I just focused on my Israeli license, getting admitted to the bar in Israel, which is no simple feat for a foreigner. And uh, I've been working here and focused on Israeli real estate ever since.
0: One of the advantages of working with you, you are, for Israelis, is you're totally Israeli. You understand the, the market here and the legal atmosphere. And uh, you can still speak the language of everywhere else that you, that you had relationship with women.
1: Australia,
0: England, then
1: the US. Uh, That's right. That's definitely an an advantage that I have. Um, You have to obviously know how to act in Israel, uh, and you have to know how to speak to clients who come from all sorts of different backgrounds and mentalities. Actually, in my office, I have a a French-speaking paralegal and an, uh, an intern a mitmacha, who speaks uh, hungarian and spanish so we basically have most of the olim world covered um, but you still have to be able to explain everything to them in the language they understand and also to negotiate in israel and sometimes i'll be having a conversation I remember once my wife heard me negotiating with another lawyer where I was very emphatic and, you know, saying, uh, and I'm uh, and really yelling at the guy in a very firm tone. And then at the end of the long conversation, the negotiation, "tov and she looked at me at the end of the call. She said, what the hell happened there? You were yelling at him. You were screaming at him. You were saying over my dead body. And then at the end, you were best friends. And, you know, I'll see you next week. And I explain. Sometimes that's how you have to do things in Israel to get things done. At what stage do we introduce the lawyer if we work with foreigners? There's no stage that's too early, um, and the reason is, and the reason is, this is one of the most crucial elements that that people have to understand. Foreigners are so, especially those that have bought or sold real estate abroad. They're so used to their way of doing things. They have a whole set of assumptions that this is how it works in America, Australia, England, Canada, that this is how it's supposed to work in Israel. And I always say to them at the very beginning, forget anything you think you know. Uh, There's a phrase from the Wizard of Oz, we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy, you're in Israel. And you have to, you know, you have assumptions and there there are technical terms like closing, exchange. I tell the clients, we're not going to use those terms because they mean They have such loaded terms for what you're used to that is very different here and that can sometimes be the hardest point so the earlier they get that advice and the earlier somebody walks them through obviously your job is to show them the properties and talk them through the various aspects of the market but there's so many other assumptions they have that are completely different in israel that the earliest that i can sit with them review the various taxes the various payments uh, the budgetary aspects, the, the registry questions, the negotiation, the contingencies, all of that is so different. It's good to get them a good framing up front. I've had deals fall apart where you know, the terms come to me and, I, and th- that's the first time I've speaking to the client and I've had a deal where the client didn't realize that he has to pay his broker. Why? In the United that's, States. That's
2: the my next the question. We also see that in the the contract with the real estate agency so it's really really like in the beginning stage that you need a lawyer to you know company through the whole process
1: yeah And and I view my role, uh, it's funny because I I tell my American clients that I'm the quarterback for the whole process because the American clients know American football and the quarterback's job is really to, to pass the ball off to various members of the team and call the plays and make sure, you know, the ball gets into the end zone. For the English clients, I use a different sporting analogy and for a foreign client, so I can use, because I know sports in different countries, I can use an analogy that they can understand that there is a lot to be done with a team around them of which I am an integral part working with obviously you guys as the broker, but there's finances and there's mortgages and there's engineering advice and appraisals and all sorts of other things that need to be checked for them to know early on, they need a good team around them that they can trust and they can rely on and they will understand everything in their own language. And that for me is a very key element.
2: So the episode will address the question today. Can you buy or sell a property in Israel? even if you're not physically present in Israel. And uh, what is the best way to do that, in your opinion? Because you're so expert.
1: So definitely you can, and we do it all the time. Um, You know, the, the, the best way to do it is to have a good team around you. So the crucial elements of the team are obviously the realtor, you guys, who will find the property, walk walk the client through what's involved in negotiating, getting the right price, the right neighbourhood, everything to do with that. My role is basically to help review the financial aspects of the purchase, structuring it and dealing with all the other elements, all of which can be done remotely. There, and once you do this for, many, for as many years as, as we've done it, you know a lot of the workarounds that most, most real estate lawyers in Israel aren't even familiar with. You know, never mind the many lawyers in Israel who dabble in real estate, who don't really know how to give their clients good advice. And uh, the clients unfortunately don't know that their lawyer is not as expert or familiar in many of the easier ways of doing things um, because they're not you know, as expert in dealing with foreign clients. So for example, there are many clients who are told, you have to go to the Israeli consulate to sign all the documents. Now, that is correct. One of the methods of signing the documents is at the Israeli consulate, and in many consulates around the world, you can't get an appointment for months, and it's a whole balagan, and you know, the, the, the documents have to be in English if they speak only English or whatever their primary language is, and that's one way of signing it, but that's not the only way of signing it. And an alternative is to go to a, um, a notary with an apostille And even that, there's different ways of doing it, and there's certain uh, speeded up processes that the lawyers like myself, who have the real expertise in dealing with foreign clients, we can manage to, there are notaries in the US who are allowed to notarize via Zoom. So somebody can sit in their home, sign all the documents necessary via Zoom with the notary in the US, who then confirms the signatures, gets the apostille, and sends it to me in Israel within a week or two and we're ready to go, sign the contract, uh, move on with the whole deal.
2: And which stage is this happening, the apostille and the signing? Because before you really need to sign the contract, you need a power of attorney. So do you put them in touch with apostille or what's the process exactly?
1: That would normally take place if we, let's say if we're a, a seller and we have a buyer, then we would go prepare the documents, have them signed, notarized and apostilled when we have the buyer in place and the buyer is conducting their due diligence to have ready in time for signing the contract once the buyer is ready to sign the contract. If we're on the buyer side, and again, we found the place that we, the you guys have negotiated and agreed terms for, then we would prepare the documents. We would obviously check the taboo, check the title, prepare the documents based on all the information we have and have the buyer sign them and send them to us ready to sign in parallel with everything else we need to do during that due diligence period.
0: There's so there, you know what? I have so many questions that come to my mind. We can probably work until 8 p.m. here together. But for example, so the land registry. You go on deed in America and you see exactly who's the owner, what's going on. It's a clear title, unless you have a mortgage or so, and and and, um, and and that's it. But here in uh, here in Israel, it can be so complex, there's private ownership state ownership, their uh, licenses, it, you, you really need somebody who can ex- not just understand it, but also explain it, not only speak the language, but also speak
1: the culture. Absolutely, all of that is 100% true. And what I tell my clients early on is that um, those who work in the medical field know that when you're undergoing surgery, there's a concept called informed consent. You know, the doctor is supposed to sit, review the procedure, explain the risks, make sure you understand what you're about to do and that what could go wrong. And you've reviewed it and you've signed off to said, you know, I understand what I'm doing and I want to go ahead. And I tell them that's how it should be when you buy or sell property in Israel and I view my role as the one really explaining everything from start to finish and you're hundred percent right mayor the concepts are different and I tell them we're not going to use the closing uh, I tell them the big-picture items are there's really three main stages <clears throat> stage number one is we've agreed the fundamental terms where essentially there's a handshake you've agreed a price you've probably agreed a possession date and maybe you've agreed some of the payment structure as well and the parties have shaken hands to say we have agreed these basic terms and we will work in good faith that if we can finalize everything else we need to do uh, we will sign a contract together our lawyers we will sit down and sign a contract within the next couple of weeks or so two or three weeks on average is the time frame uh, and we the sellers we're not supposed to have it on the market. We're not supposed to negotiate with other people. We're not supposed to accept offers or, you know, keep showing. Or even keep showing, show it, right? Or even show it. That's the minhag. Because it's with the lawyers. It's in a period now of due diligence where the buyers have a, a, a reasonable period of time to conduct their due diligence to get to the stage. And the lawyers have to negotiate the contract, check the title, check the financing to get to a stage where stage number two is where we're going to sign a contract. And one of the key elements that you have to explain, especially to American buyers, is that there are no contingencies in the contract, except for some very, very unique contracts, but your standard contract is fully binding. There's no financing contingency. There's no inspection contingency. There's no walking away and losing your deposit if you change your mind, okay? In Israel, when you're signing a fully binding contract, you are committing as a buyer to making payments on those dates in the contract, in the amounts in shekels that the contract stipulates. And that means that you are committing to coming up with those funds on those dates and that the seller is entitled and is relying on your commitment to go and buy something else, and they're entitled to rely on it. And there's no walking away, there's no changing your mind. The, you know, in, Under Israeli law, you can sue for specific enforcements. There's not just a contract cancellation for material breach. These are important concepts for a buyer to understand very early on, which means that time frame, and then you have to explain, during that time frame between shaking hands on the terms and signing a binding contract, all of those question marks the inspection the financing the mortgage the conversions the you know appraisals all of those things that need to be checked have to be checked during that relatively short time frame in order to be enable us to be ready to sit down and sign the contract because the seller has taken it off the market and won't wait forever for the buyers to come and say we're ready to sign okay and then the final waypoint is the possession date the pinui where the, the buyers have to understand early on, unlike in most jurisdictions, you don't have 10% on signing uh, or deposit, as they might call it, and then 90% on closing, exchange, wherever they come from. It doesn't Abi, work i sorry like that.
2: to interrupt you. Avi, what is closing? Because this term is very vague.
1: It, it, that's why you should never use it, because for an American, the closing, or for a British, for the exchange, It's where a lot of the stuff that we would do on the contract signing, they would do at the closing. That's where the payments get made. That's where the possession gets transferred, things like that. And it's such a loaded term that I refuse to use it. Okay. and I use the terms.
2: What do you use in.
1: um, So I use the terms. You know, we've agreed that we've agreed the basic terms. Now we have an obligation to act in good faith to do our due diligence as a buyer. We have the contract signing date where everything is binding. Sometimes I'll use a a poker analogy where you're you're part committed, you're all in. Right. You, You know, you can't pull out, you can't fold, you're in the game. You've put all your chips in, you know, even if it's spread out over time. So there's the contract signing and then there's the possession date, the possession date is going to be in almost all deals the final payment and the important point that a buyer has to understand up front is that those payments are going to be spread out and as you know there's a lot of um flexibility and negotiations as to how to make those payments and uh, very early on i walk a buyer through because for example a buyer might be assuming okay the possession dates in the summer uh, i'll put 10 percent down now and i'll pay 90 percent in the summer so my first thing is to explain to the buyer that's not how it works. If you agree the terms now and we want to sign the contract in the next few weeks, you're going to have to be paying more over time. Number two is if you have all the cash in dollars, the dollars might cover the the shekels you need it to today, but that doesn't mean in a month, six months, nine months, it'll cover those, uh, those shekels. I don't like risk. I've seen people get burned by currency fluctuations and my recommendation is if we know we're going ahead and the money's available we should convert it and take that risk off the table and i tell the client that at the beginning because if the client says oh that's a good idea i don't want to take the risk that the dollar goes down i won't be able to afford it i should just convert it now then i say to them now you speak to the broker and you tell the broker I can make an offer and I can pay more upfront. I'm gonna have 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% in cash available, liquid, okay? Now I understand that it's not 10% down, 90% at the end. So the seller may still want 100,000 shekels more, but maybe if I offer the seller 50% on signing or 70% within a few weeks, that's a good deal for the seller. Me as a buyer, I'm converting it. Why don't we do that? But
2: let me ask you something. Uh, There is no law how much if we don't buy first hand. There is no law that says how much you have to pay in the beginning, in the middle, in the end. So what's usually um, acceptable in those in those deals?
1: Good question on a on a purchase from a developer from a kablan, Right. That's not not ready yet. Meaning the payments are the possession date is somewhat sometime in the future there are certain laws that protect buyers that state that the buyer can only pay above a certain amount provided the developer has the protections that the law requires which is usually a bank guarantee but as long as our buyer our developer has can issue a bank guarantee there's no law limiting when and how the buyer can pay as long as the buyer gets the bank guarantee for each payment. So that's something that's important for the for your your average foreign buyer to kind of understand that the payment structure is flexible, that they will be protected either in a in a, in a buying from a developer, they'll get a bank guarantee or in a secondhand deal, as long as it's in the taboo, they'll get a note in the taboo and that there is an expectation for payments to be made, so it doesn't matter if you pay ten percent now and then another thirty, another thirty, another twenty over time, or you could pay fifty percent and twenty percent and twenty percent if you have the money available, and that can help the seller.
0: I would like you to clarify, just because we work, we work also in uh, America, the difference between what lawyers and agents do versus what they do here in America. The agent not only does the business transaction, the negotiation, but also uh, handles the legal procedure not the closing not the registry but the legal binding agreement so perhaps you can explain the difference between what's going on here and in America and my second question which we can uh, we can uh, expand later is about the way land and properties are registered what is important for a foreigner to know because it's very to me it's
1: still very confusing if you if
0: you, if you ask most most people in Israel they'll be very
1: confused about the way land is registered So Mayor to answer your first question, I like to tell my clients that there are a lot of lawyers in Israel and all these lawyers need a job. And if we put together a basic standard contract like they have in many jurisdictions in the US all of these lawyers would be out of a job and that would be a terrible thing. So we have to keep it as complicated as possible so that all the lawyers can actually make a paranossa. That's why I like to joke with the clients. But the truth is, there's no standard contract, there's no standard terms like in the US where the agent will just fill in you know, the names and the dates and the, and the price and basically everything else is, is set in advance by the state bar for, you know, for, for a standard contract. Since there is no standard contract, there are lots and lots of different items that are still to be negotiated. That can turn out to be a good thing. There's a lot of flexibility that can be built into a, to a deal that can help both sides get to an agreed upon deal and get the property that the buyers want to buy. So the lawyers in Israel negotiate the contract, the contract is usually prepared by the seller's lawyer and the buyer's lawyer will review it and prepare comments to it. And I always provide my clients, A, with the original documents so they have them, so they know that you know somebody's giving them everything, and B, a detailed English um, summary, you know, full breakdown of everything the contract states that might be relevant to them or that they need to know. I find many clients come to me when they've gone through the process in the past in Israel and they say, they had no idea what was going on. The lawyer told them, come in, sit down, sign here, pay this, do that. And look, we do that all the time. <laughs> you know, you're, 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 you're taking a mortgage. You don't read a thousand pages that the mortgage bank gives you. You sign on the, you know, on the pad or on the paper at the bottom, and nobody has a clue what's going on. And I feel that shouldn't happen when you're buying something in Israel. You should know what's going on, which means you need to get the documents and get all the em- information in English, By email, Zoom, phone call, WhatsApp, to be able to ask all your questions, to review it, to understand it. So they have to know... Yes.
2: Avi, you said that you're responsible to send them all the documents and everything, but what is the lawyer not responsible for?
1: Uh, From a a legal um, malpractice perspective, the lawyer is pretty much responsible for everything, okay? And there's a lot of suits against lawyers for malpractice in real estate deals. And the main reason for that is even your regular, you know, run-of-the-mill Israelis don't know what's going on. Uh, Mayor, you asked about land registry, taboo, minhal, church land, all sorts of questions like this. Ayosh, minhal ayosh. The lawyer's job is to protect the clients, walk them through the process bring in the, the, recommend bringing in appraisal, engineer, architect, uh, financial advisor, all of these different you know, um, yeah. inspection, obviously, um, uh, all of these different uh, experts in order to make sure that the clients know what they're doing and they've, they've reviewed the risk. Uh, they know what they're doing, they've reviewed and understood the risk and that they are willing to go ahead under those terms.